streaming. Offline. I think we're starting to go up. Test the audio. Fire it up, footballers. Hello, hello. Still not seeing anything, but fire it up. We got Brian Sandalo and Marty Tom and, and True Marty Party here uh, to join in us on Vancouver versus Chicago. Thanks for joining us here, boys. What's going on? Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Good to be on. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for. Uh putting up with me on this show so <laughs> no worries i'm not seeing anything available let's make sure that everything's live okay hold on one second here lads ah, i tested this before we went uh going live but we'll see um do i have to do this i don't know if the, i have to turn off my camera I think that might be what I have to do. Sorry, everybody. Thanks for bearing with us. It says we're live, but I'm not seeing anything. Uh, so, guys, uh, we'll start talking anyway. What's going All on? All right. We can do that. <laughs> uh, what do you guys think of the... Oh, Brian, you're an author, right? I am, yes. Uh, I'm technically an author. No, I am an author. Uh, the uh, book, uh, Chicago, America's Best Sports Town, came out last uh, June. And I think it's still available on bookshelves and Amazon and all that. So, uh, yeah, I am an author. Um, kind of cool to say if, uh, if I, when I'm leaving my parents' day and I die in a car accident, then I can at least know that I left that behind. So, uh, got yeah, kind of cool. Got a legacy, you know. Uh, I've got no kids, but uh, I can say that I left that behind. But uh, actually, I don't want to say that. I don't love my parents love hearing me say that. But, um no, I, it's cool to say that I have a, a book in, um, it, on my record, so that's uh, that's kind of neat. Uh, about that, sh Chicago as the America's best sports town, uh, I think it absolutely has to be in the top five, if not the top two, if not the number one. You might you might be onto something. Just I hadn't really thought about it, but New York, right. L.A. When you think when you look at the Blackhawks, the support for the Blackhawks and the support for the Bears and the support right. for the Bulls. I mean. Chicago is certainly a unique city with, like, massive teams that have massive amount of support. Right, yeah. This is a city that has very important teams that loves its sports. And you've got that extra little um, dynamic that, uh, you know, for six months of the year, Cubs fans and Sox fans, they don't want any part of each other. They don't like each other. And then uh, everyone comes together for the Bears, the Hawks, the Bulls, or, uh, and the Fire. Uh, the sky, and you've got a really nice, vivid uh, high school scene. The best college, the best high school basketball, I think, in the country. You've got a lot of college teams around here, and uh, New York has so many teams, so many things going on. LA, sort of the same, and LA didn't have an NFL team for over twenty years, so they're disqualified from that competition. So I think um, I think Chicago takes the title. And uh, now, granted, I am maybe contractually obligated to say that. But uh, I think Chicago is the number one sports town. Hopefully my book uh, kind of, uh, I guess, pitches that idea and sells it. What do you think, Marty? Um, yeah, I had a chance to check out uh, some of Brian's book when he had it at the um, bookshop just down the street from us here in Lincoln Square. Mm -hmm. um, so I haven't read through all of it yet, but um, it's, uh, as always, very well written. Thank you. Um, it's a compelling argument, and uh, yeah, I don't, I don't 
know that much about the sports scene in general, but um, it's a great book, and I'm really glad to see Brian back in and around the stadium this season and uh, doing write-ups for soccer-related stuff. So I'll leave the other sports to him. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Marty. I appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, it is cool to be back. Um, you remember I covered the team 14 and 15, and uh, it was fun. I enjoyed it. Soccer means a lot to, to my family. Uh, of course, you guys know my brother, uh, and uh, means a lot to him, means a lot to us, and uh, it's it's very cool. I, I love being back. It's cool to see, uh, you know, writing about the fire again. Uh, of course, things have gotten a little bit uh, complicated, as I'm sure we'll get into a little bit uh, later, but uh, it's good to uh, it, it's good to be back at uh, SeatGeek Stadium and uh, writing. It, it's fun. I enjoy it. I love writing about the game, and it's cool to be connecting with this community again. All right, boys, let's uh, break into Chicago versus Vancouver. Uh, what was the final score? One to one? Right, yep. yep. And, uh, one what was his initial thoughts here? Uh, uh, Marty, let's start off with you. Uh, initial thoughts are that a draw is not good enough in that match. Um, Vancouver is a work in progress um, after years under the tutelage of. of uh, Robinson, they are very much in a transition phase, um, complete retool of the squad, complete retool of all three DPs, and um, for as, as good as they have the potential to be, it's early to all three people, and you can't draw that match at all. Uh, Brian? Yeah, Marty uh, is is, pre is exactly right. Uh, looking at it from the fire perspective, that's the game you got to get. You got to get three points in that. And frankly, as I explored in my story in yesterday's paper, they've had four home games. The fire have one win from that. That's not enough. Um, I know that uh, obviously uh, some some injury issues. You're without Frankowski right now. You're you're still playing uh, Gucci. Are out, I think out of position at left back. You're playing a couple other guys out of position. Uh, we can get into that a little bit. I have some thoughts on that. But four home games, one win. you got to do better than that. And uh, next week, another home game. I think that's another, I think we would agree, that's another three points they got to get. Because after that, the schedule starts to tilt. And, look, you got to get off to a hot start. you got to get, you, you really got to get going early. And, I honestly, I didn't like a lot of what I saw Friday night. Um, yes, they had a lot of chances, had a lot of possession, but... Where was that last pass that we that everyone was waiting for? I didn't see it. I didn't see that last penetrating run. And if they don't get that figured out soon, then it's going to be a hustle once again just to stay in the playoff picture in the East. Uh, when I was watching with Jeffrey right next to me uh, at the game, he just kept commenting at how many back passes, uh, back pass after back pass. And, I mean, certainly back passes help keep possession, but it was, it was starting to become a joke. Uh, and then, you know, every once in a while we saw that aggressive forward pass, but we just, and another thing was all the shots that were generated, uh, and at, at halftime there was about 10 shots to zero, I believe, uh, and, or to 10 shots to one, I have the stats pulled up here, and, uh, but the shots really didn't seem that dangerous, uh, the chances that were generated, all that weren't, weren't that dangerous, even though the fire just looked like they were dominating. Right. Yeah. Um, on paper, um, I'm sure Marty will agree. On paper, yeah, they were. But there's more to it than just getting shots off. There's more to it than holding the ball. And that's one of the things, you know, we were told about Gaetan. Now, I know it's very early days for Gaetan. 
but Gaetan was the guy who was supposed to pick out that last ball, was supposed to be able to unlock a team that was playing for a draw. And I haven't seen that yet. Uh, it was his first start, played set, made it over 70 minutes. Didn't see that. Um, they didn't have that attacking edge with Frankowski's speed, who can open them up. And uh, they, were, they were clearly missing something on Friday night. And frankly, they got lucky. If not for VAR, we're talking about a really bad result as opposed to just a rather uh, uninspiring one. Marty, what do you think it comes down to? Um... Honestly, I, I think that for, for me, Bonovich took a step forward in his evolution as a coach when he um, decided to retool the back line and decided to put Mo Adams back in the 11, or rather put him in the 11 for the first time. Um, but you got to continue to evolve. He took one step forward and then two steps back um, against a team like Vancouver who had a very heavy schedule um, coming into this, knowing they have a make-or-break match against LAFC at home midweek, uh, kind of set up with a lineup that was going to bunker in. You saw them sit there with a low block, and um, for Pano to come out and, and put Mo in the starting 11 and leave Georgie on the bench when, as Brian alluded to, you're going to have to unlock the defense um, that's that's a positional error for me. Um, not telling uh, Gucciar and, and, and Kappelhoff to push wider and overload the flanks was, was a mistake. And then um, I, Brian alluded to Gaetan not necessarily showing that number 10 role in this, uh, this, this past match, but I also think that positionally what he was being asked to do was very, very strange for me. Um, when Chicago was on the counter or even in possession sometimes, you saw this strange tendency of, okay, Inbaum was being asked for Van from Vancouver's point of view to kind of shift and push inside um, in transition to help cover and kind of maybe block up the midfield. And whether in response to that or as a causal um, kind of factor in that, both Katai and, and Gaetan shifted to the, to the flanks. Um, and Gaetan's played as a winger in, in the past uh, when he was in Portugal, sure. But he was brought in as a number 10. And, and you, need to, you need to have him do that. And so when he and Katai are on the flanks, now all of a sudden you have this giant area of dead space. Um, and it results in them taking shots from 30, 35 yards out when they get the ball in those flank areas. And you saw Katai try that a number of times. You saw Gaetan take a few shots from there. Um, so tactically, I think they're still they're still not not quite there. They haven't figured it out. Um, they they left all that space open and decide, like you mentioned, uh, they decided to play Dax and Mo. And if you had Georgie in there, maybe he would have been able to advance into that space a bit more. Uh, yeah, or at least take advantage. Absolutely. And then the last thing I'll say about um, the way that they set up tactically um, is that. When they got into the final third, they just seemed to run out of ideas. Um, that seems that, to be the case a lot with a lot of Ponovich's uh, tenure here. Yeah. Yeah. Anything and, uh, um, I'll take just maybe to kind of take, go into a slight, in the same direction, but I think something that's impressed me and impressed a lot of people follow the fire is Sapon to start the season. However, I'm not sure I love him playing where he has been. 
I think I would rather have, have him up top, to be honest. And if you're looking to try to break a team open, playing a, a striker where he was on Friday night, that's not the best idea. I feel like that you're not getting the most out of Sapong there. So, I, yeah, I was some... I had some questions about the tactics that uh, Parno came out with on Friday. But you're right, I do like what he's done with the back line, but you got to get goals here. This is a team that's still built to score goals, and we've been told that they have a lot of scoring options, a lot of attacking options, but the offense has not been there consistently this season. And I feel like with Sapong, you might have to push him further uh, up the field, closer to the goal. But that means taking Nikolic off, which is something he seems a, a bit hesitant to do. But it, at this point, and the funny thing is, Nikolic is starting to score. He's, right. starting to get, he's starting to get into form here. But the real question, does Nikolic really line up with what Ponovic is trying to do when he's, the, when he's trying to launch in all these crosses? And Nikolic is not the tallest or the strongest guy, where Sapong actually is. And he actually might be in a position where he's more of a Josie Altador connecting on the end of these Pozuelo crosses. Mm-hmm. But instead, we got Nikolic up there, who's just not Josie Altador-like, where Sapong is, more so. Yeah. Um, yeah, for me, the, the, the issue there is um, this fireside is too good on paper going forward to just be dumping crosses in. So I don't like that, that, that that's the, the kind of approach that, that we think we should be taking because that's not necessary. I mean, if you're going to play a 3-5-2, you can play with two strikers. And if you're going to dump the ball in, have Sapong play further forward and more centrally than he has been, and then have Nico cleaning up in the box. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that's what Nico's here for, to finish. And he's shown that in the last three games in a row now. Um, so... I don't, I'm not sure that I see the problem with having Nico and Sapong both on the field. It's just how you utilize them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can't play two strike. You can't play two guys up top together. Uh, I mean, it's been done. It's uh, not currently in vogue right now in soccer, but it can be done. And if you've got two players, you can complement each other. And what I think are as intelligent as Nico and Sapong can be, and as they are. And I think you've got to give it a shot to make it work. Now you've got to get a little bit creative otherwise. But I think it's an option that I would look into. Uh, so first half assessment. Uh, the fire just came out and basically dominated uh, with all these shots. Didn't, But yet, they did they ever really seem like they were going to score? Mm, sort of, maybe. I mean, you think that after, if you have the ball as much as they did for 45 minutes, you think, okay, they're going to get something. But as we said, they just didn't seem like they had the idea how to get to that last point. I mean, there, I saw, you know, I, I, yes, I admit, I cruise the CF97 hashtag a lot. I find it enjoyable. I find it entertaining. And I know there was a, there was a lot of uh, negativity toward Katai and his performance on Friday. I thought he was active. I thought, I, I saw, I don't know, maybe I'm seeing different things, but I thought he was active. I thought that he was at least trying things. Um, yeah. But, but it was, it was just, there was a lot of activity, but whether it was effective activity by the whole team is another question um, that maybe may have a different answer. I saw a lot more from Katai than I saw from Gaetan. True. Uh, and not to yeah. mention, I thought Katai was really doing well when he was taking on number 53 on Vancouver. He was really taking them to school on the corners. 
on the on the far right side. And I really feel like the fire missed a chance there to uh, take advantage of that because uh, it was kind of like last week where we saw Guchar getting taken advantage of by Toronto, and we could have done the exact same thing and then didn't really follow up on that. I right. thought that was there for the taking. So a, a couple of those issues at the start. Um, and then we get – so uh, the, don't they score first? Uh, yeah, uh, Vancouver scored first. Uh, assist to David Osted uh, on that play. Uh, uh, you're watching that play. Uh, you guys know where the press uh, box is. I mean, it's on uh, – was it the west side of the building? I could see it pretty clearly what happened. It's like it happened in slow motion. Mm-hmm. And it was like one mistake kind of cascades to another mistake, cascades to another. And Ostad, you know, I just want to say this. Um, give him credit. Uh, after the game Friday night, we go in and talk to Nikolic. And, I, you know, there's a part of me thought, okay, Ostad, he's been really good to deal with, but I don't think he's going to sit to stay and talk to us about what happened. In full suit, now in a really dapper suit, black a black suit, uh, black shirt, black tie, looked really good. He comes out and talks to us, and he knew what the question was. He took the heat about it, and uh, gave him credit for that. But that said, it was not his finest moment as a professional goalkeeper. Uh, you just kind of saw it happen in slow motion, and that's just the, pl- the kind of thing you cannot afford when you're a team that's struggling to score goals against a team that is really there to park the bus. I mean, they didn't just park. Vancouver wasn't parking the bus. They parked that bus, their own team bus. They found a CTA bus. Uh, they might have found a pace bus, but that's a mistake you cannot make. And he had said he apologized to the team about it, And but that's not. But he was brought in to be the exact opposite of that, to be a steady force, a steadying factor. And uh, Friday night, he just wasn't. That was yeah. his one howler. Uh, what do you think there, Marty? Um, so I'll say a couple things on, on, on the goal that they gave up. Um, first, this ties in a little bit to what you guys were talking about, Katai. Um, he was in the box there kind of shielding or trying to shield the ball during that miscommunication or, or whatever happened in the lead-up to Usted kind of fumbling the ball there. Um my question is, why is Katai your left back in that transition period? What, where is Guchar? What is he doing? Why is a creative attacking midfielder um, put in that position? Um, so that's one. Uh, two is, this was, um, not, not a lot of people talked about it, but this was a pretty big game for Usted. Um, he was playing a Vancouver side where he made his MLS career. He spent four and a half seasons there. Uh, and then they kind of shipped him off and told him he wasn't necessary anymore. Um, and he rode the bench in D.C. last year, and and so he, he questioned his future in his league, right? Because then you had Bill Hamid come in, and he was riding the bench permanently. Um, and so he comes to Chicago, gets a new opportunity, but when you're facing old sides like that, a lot of those questions come into play. And um, look... Goalkeepers are human, and they make mistakes occasionally, and unfortunately, he was punished for his. Uh, right. So I feel I feel bad for him. Um, but on the flip side of things, we talked about it already today. They could have had three, four goals at that point. Um, the fire could have if they had been playing properly and finishing chances. So, um, yeah, yeah. 
from a, st- yeah. a goalkeeper standpoint, uh, I play goalkeeper. Um, I, that's one you gotta throw away as fast as possible. And, and mm-hmm. it, it, I understand how the world can see it's egregious, but that is like you know everybody gets one or two as a goalie. Like you know you kind of gotta give us that because we we as goalies are. We're, we have to be on every game. We have to be on every minute of every game, and that's really hard to do. It's really hard to manage. So I'm not trying to make excuse here for Ousted, but what I am saying is I don't expect that to see that often. We, we're about, what, we're a couple matches in. That's really the first big gaffe. We've, well, we've seen one other gaffe when him and Guchar had a, uh, a bit of a miscommunication. The ball squirted right between them and mm-hmm. kept going out of bounds. But I don't think it's as uh, – we saw – Maybe a few more cracks uh, in Richard last year than we did see. Well, then we're seeing in Alfstad's game at least. Right, and he's a better Absolutely. distributor. He's he's got better. He's, he's he's definitely got a lot more of it together. That you know these cracks when they do happen, it's like oh there's there there is a crack, and we're like oh we're shocked to see that you know they do exist, but they do. No no goalkeeper's perfect. I mean David De Gea is not perfect, but that said. Hopefully he rebounds from this, he gets his confidence back up, shakes it off, brushes off his shoulders, and moves on. What do you guys think? Right, well, I have one retort to that. De Gea was perfect against Tottenham, and we don't really need to discuss that. But um, no, the thing about Osted and, and goalies in general, and um, if you make one mistake as a keeper, then of course it's going to end up in your net or be... Look, would become really close. Yeah. And But you can, as, as Marty alluded to, other goals aren't usually just the, the product of a goal mistake there's, and there's a midfielder being out of position or somebody else making a mistake yeah. right it's not a, when a goalie makes a mistake it's usually the product of a few other things and uh, you know again about Osted and playing Vancouver I actually talked to him uh, on the phone Thursday uh, for a first edition story that uh, I guess uh, unless you're in the far suburbs and they didn't get the same times you probably wouldn't have seen it um, but I talked to him, and I did talk to him about Vancouver a little bit. He wasn't all that emotional about it, uh, because most of the, as we've alluded to with the Vancouver being in transition, most of the guys he played with at that point uh, are no longer with Vancouver. That the people that would be, that he would see would be the team administrators, the physios, other things like that. But I'm sure, looking back, I wish I'd asked him about that part after the game, but at least before the game, he sort of... Uh, Downplayed it, but though he did say that the city of Vancouver means a lot to him because his twin sons were born there, uh, that the, the city will always have a, a, a piece of his soul. But uh, at least when it comes to the Whitecaps, uh, most of the players he played with are, uh, have scattered about. Uh, Marty, final thoughts on the outstead before we move on to towards uh, Nikolic's uh, penalty and all that stuff? No, not really. I mean, I think we've, we've covered it very well. He's a, he's a veteran professional and then. He'll brush his shoulders off and hopefully continue the consistency we see. Agreed. So what happened here with this that led to this penalty? Because uh, it was a little confusing being at the game, and all of a sudden, like they're throwing it in, and the, the ref's like, "No, no, no!" And uh, so what happened with this oh. with this penalty, guys? Well, I mean, there was a ball in the box, and uh, I believe it was off Sapong, if I'm not mistaken. And then goes off a defender's hand. I mean, it was such a fa- lightning fast play that you can't always see with the naked eye. I mean, that happens in soccer. That happens in baseball. I mean, yesterday, I'm not to, to mix uh, things that I cover. But, uh, but yesterday, I was covering the Cubs game. And uh, 
there was almost a fan interference in the ninth inning with a Cubs fan reaching out to grab a foul pop that an Angels outfielder was trying to grab. I didn't see that until later. So, and then with the, with the play and uh, with the fire game Friday night, same thing. I didn't even see it. So the human eye can only see so much. And uh, I guess luckily for the fire, VAR is a thing. It does exist. And uh, they, they got lucky on that one. Although, would you say, Marty, that they were lucky to get a goal at that point? Or was it kind of coming? I think that the way they got the goal was lucky. Um, I watched the play live. Um, I was actually over on that side of the field at the time, and I saw the shout. Um, from the replays I've seen, and I don't know if Ref had a different angle, um, I don't know if it hits his hand. I don't know if, what, how you want to talk about intentionality at that point. Uh, obviously, Nico bearing the, the PK, and I'm, I was very happy for him. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't think that relying on the last-minute VAR situation is, is how the fire envisioned that game going. Um, so I'd be curious to see what other angles the ref had, but for me, I don't, I don't think it was a PK. Yeah, it's hard to judge. Um, I mean, it was a ball to hand, hand the ball, very tough. And uh, I'll be honest, from my perspective, I mean, that made my life harder because... Uh, I was starting to write up a one nothing loss. So uh, when they scored, that, that kind of meant I had to scramble to uh, get everything ready and make sense for the first edition story. But, uh, you know, I'm sure um, I, I'm, the fire probably wouldn't be too upset that they temporarily inconvenienced me. But uh, I'm, I'm a professional. I could handle it. But, uh, you know, it's a hard thing. You know, looking back at that, not only did they have two draws from home games against Seattle, out and out against, Seattle against Vancouver and Orlando, but... They're really close to having two losses against Vancouver and Orlando. If not for a last gasp header by Sapong against Orlando and then a interesting VAR decision, we're not talking about two points from those games. We're talking about zero, and that's that's a very that's that, that should not be a good trend for the Fire. That's that's something that should be alarming to them, and uh, you can't depend on VAR because um, it it helped them this time. Valor might get them the next time. Uh, uh, Jeffrey and I always alluded this to this last season. Uh, the High Wire Act is back. It's mm-hmm. a High Wire Act, and, and all it takes is one or two mistakes, and then all of a sudden the fire of lost points, just as you pointed out. And this really brings to, que- to me to the focus on Ponovich and whether or not, you know, what's going on there with his ability. He, I do not doubt his ability as a motivator. I think that these guys work hard for him. The the fire are one of the teams that just show no quit. They go out there and they go hard for, but they do look sloppy. Sometimes they're missing on the finish, and they seem like they're lacking ideas. Well, you know, I will give them credit for staying in games and staying into it for ninety minutes. But same point, as I said, they've given away points. Mm-hmm. They should have three points against Orlando. I know the weather was miserable that day. Uh, they should have had three points against Vancouver. And then after a while, you've got to turn motivation and effort into points, into tangible results. Because eventually, the motor to, to kind of conjure when you're not seeing results. Uh, Brian, and, I know you got to go here shortly. 
I, I got a couple minutes, yeah. I just wanted to get your thoughts on the potential rebrand and the potential move to Soldier Field, if you had any thoughts about that stuff. I wasn't going to escape unscathed on that one, was I? No, I had to get this in. <laughs> no, no. Um, well, you know, so I, as you guys might have read, hopefully you read it, um, talked to Nicole Hack about uh, the move, and I figured that she was uh, – She's quite the good uh, spokesperson and also a really good soul and uh, heart for the fire fan base. And, uh, I've heard on the podcast sometimes. I think, I think Section 8 is doing very well with her uh, in, in charge. But um, her take on it uh, about how Soldier Field would be a good temporary home, I think is a pretty good one. Because, look, getting to Soldier Field, getting back to the city, is, is I think, a good thing for the future of the club, obviously. But you can't stay there five, ten years because it's just not built for MLS soccer. It's built for the Bears. It's built for international soccer matches. It's built for the Gold Cup final, which is here this summer. You can't get there because even if you get 20,000, I've covered events at Soldier Field with 20,000. And you're not thinking about, man, there's 20,000 here. You're thinking about, wow, there's 40,000 empty seats. Where's the noise? It's going up into the, in, into the air and it's never coming back. You can do it for a year, maybe two but you got to have a long-term plan that you're getting into a stadium in the city limits uh, because eventually you don't want to turn into the revs because you, it, you, you go from one problem, perceived problem, to another problem. And then rebrand. Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> well, the changing their name, changing their crest, but I've also seen uh, Nelson kind of house that, uh, couch that, with saying, oh, we just want to refresh the crest. Kind of, sort of, and I will say, you know, I'm, I don't, you, you guys, I think, both follow me on Twitter. I'm very much into sports uniforms and logos and all of that. I think that changing the fire name is something that they should think long and hard about because that's a name that has 20 years of history plus 20 years. Uh, but I think that the, the, the logo, badge, crest, whatever you want to call it, it could probably use a tweak. It could use a little bit of a modernization. Uh, but I think changing the name, changing the logo is one thing. You change the name of a team, that's a completely different matzo ball. And uh, I think that that's something they'd have to get so right that it might be it might be impossible to make everybody happy. Uh, awesome, that's great. Uh, thank you for joining us here, Brian. Much appreciated. Thanks, guys. That was awesome. Uh, thanks for taking the time. Hopefully we can get you on again in the future. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. I just want to say before I go that it's been a lot for me to be back uh, covering games at SeatGeek, talking to you guys, and being uh, a part again of the soccer conversation in the city. I, yes, I'm trying to own the soccer conversation, you. if you will. But, um, I mentioned but periscopes, too. Yes, yes, yes. I do uh, pregame periscopes most uh, games. Friday night wasn't going to happen because of deadline and uh, some other issues uh, getting to uh, the game from my office. But uh, try to do those before every game. Uh, they're fun, and it's just a good way to talk to people. I like talking to people about soccer, about sports, about whatever, uh, and whatevering. I really like talking to people about. But I just it's good to be back. I'm enjoying it, and uh, hopefully people think the coverage doesn't suck. No, it's and, been and support your writers of the fire. Support your people who talk about the fire. Support uh, Fred Huebner who talks about him on the radio, and mm -hmm. all these people who are talking about the fire. Uh, I know you always talk about that on your on your uh, periscopes too. Right? Yeah. I mean, it, you know, people right. cover the fire. Yeah, give them clicks. I mean, if you're going to buy a subscription to one place, though, of course, make it the Sun Times. But uh, you know, there are there are plenty of good voices out there that uh, deserve uh, your attention.
Thank you, Brian, very much. Thanks, Bye-bye. guys. I appreciate Thanks it. Thanks so much, Brian. It's an honor Thanks, to guys. be on the show with you. Uh, likewise, guys. It was great. Thanks, guys. We'll talk soon. Awesome. <laughs> we'll see you later. Thanks, guys. All right, Brian, let's get into your thoughts uh, on the rebrand and the potential move and all this jazz. Well done. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think I've been pretty clear on social media about where I stand on this. Um, so first and foremost, what I would say is the the Soldier Field deal is in, in a, it's inevitable at this point. Um, if someone were to FOIA the Chicago Park District's uh, budget for next year, I think that would be a fun adventure, right? Um, because it might lead to some fun uh, speculation about where the fire can be playing. Mm-hmm. I'll just float that out there. So, Ooh, that'll be interesting. It's, it um, seems like they, we could see this happening very much sooner than later. And I wonder how that's going to affect season ticket holders. I wonder how it's going to, you know, because the transportation is going to change. People are going to be like, oh, no, I have to go to Soldier Field instead of Bridgeview. But hopefully they bring in more people. It can't be this season. So it it would be for next season at the earliest. Yeah, it absolutely couldn't be this season. They'd have to let the, to let the season ticket holders know like that. It, it would, yeah, it just wouldn't work. I agree. Um, I, I do see Soldier Field is inevitable as well. It, it, it's, it seems like a good move just to move them back into the city, get the microscope uh, more focused on them a little bit more. But then, like Taylor Twelman was mentioning, I don't think it's the long-term solution. Uh, it, you got to find someplace else. I don't know if the Lincoln Yards thing is going to be off the table at that point or if that might become an option. But even still, traffic to that area of Chicago is would be dreadful. Because it is in the heart of the city rather than where Wrigley's in the more nestled in the north side, where Comiskey Park, uh, uh, the cell, is more nestled in the uh, south side. Yeah, um, I mean, whether it's a good idea or not isn't necessarily related to it being inevitable at this point. Um, I don't, I don't think, I think it's an entirely lateral move. I don't think that you are going to put that much more of a spotlight on yourself. As Brian pointed out before he, he left, um, look, they're averaging 5,000 tickets scanned a match at, at Toyota Park, Geek Stadium, Bridgeview right now. E, uh, I saw more people at the Courage uh, Red Stars game. Yeah, sure. I, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't doubt it at all. So now the question is, okay, if you move to Soldier Field, how many percentage points are you going to increase the capacity or or i mean not the capacity but the actual attendance right so are you going to jump from 5000 tickets scanned to 30000 tickets scanned that that's an astronomical jump and even then half the stadium is still empty i mean it, it, it's going to look ludicrous if you have 5000 people uh at soldier field so as a as a counter example uh, when Indy 11 moved from um, where they were playing to the, the Colts stadium, they had a pretty good attendance for an NASL, USL side, and it looked ridiculous in that stadium. And that's that's the, the quickest kind of exemplar I can think of. Well, New, York, New England Revolution as well. Nothing that this uh, yeah. has done in recent memory under the tutelage of Andrew Houtman, uh, tells me that 
they are going to succeed while he is still here, even a move to the city, right? So I think the underlying issue that is being masked by any sort of discussion of a move to Soldier Field is that this is a cop-out for their failures, mm -hmm. okay? Marketing is not the number one problem. Infrastructure. Uh, it's infrastructure of the club, it's ambition, it's funding, it's all of these things that are building into 10 years plus of, of really apathy and atrophy leading to the mediocrity that we've seen. It's like less than mediocrity. If, even less. If, mediocrity if, if, means if, mediocre, right? It's like middle of the road. This is, it's worse than that. Yeah, I mean, I think that if Mansueto buys out the remainder of, of the fire from, from Andrew and um, takes a year or two or three years at Soldier Field to take the time to build a stadium in the city limits and build it right and make it accessible, then I think you have something. But breaking one lease just to sign another one is, is not a long-term solution. It can't be. So, um, again, I see Soldier Field as a lateral move, and I don't, I don't think that it solves a lot of your issues. Attendance will still be a problem. Image will still be a problem. And here's the other thing. I've, I've seen Messi play at Soldier Field when the matches weren't so loud, yeah. right? And on top of that, you're going to be competing with the Bears schedule for part of the season. If the Bears are playing on a Sunday, they're sure as hell not going to let you play that Saturday. Uh, if the Bears are playing Thursday, then the, the pitch is going to be unusable that weekend. Um, same thing during the summer with concerts in Chicago. It's going to be a lot more midweek matches. Or at right? least towards the end of the season, right? Exactly. If Lady Gaga shows up in July, <laughs> guess what? You're playing on a Tuesday night now. Oh my gosh, wow. Right? Yeah, that, I mean, that's going to be problematic for attendance and they're already having issues already. So I don't... I, I and. You know, when you add the fact that the pitch isn't the greatest, um, I personally don't want to be paying $40, $50 for parking the tailgate. I mean, I know I can take transit, public transit, and that's easier for me, but what do you do for all of those people that are season ticket holders uh, that live in the suburbs right now? Oh, yeah. uh, are you going to tell them that they have to take the metro and walk a mile and a half, or, or the other alternative is pay, you know, X amount of dollars for chicago park district's parking fees i mean, i don't know and, and that's um, the other thing it's going to be more cost prohibitive to start going to these games now for a lot of people because with the move to soldier field does that mean tickets are going to increase in price even though they they really can't sell they already can't sell fifteen thousand of them and uh, is parking gonna go up that much parking is going to go from 15 20 bucks to 40 50 that alone is going to be like there's going to be problems with this move Yep, yep, and all of that, again, is problematic for me, not just for all the reasons that we've mentioned, but also because you're sweeping under the rug the fact that this isn't the fault of marketing or the fans or location. Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of the biggest slight to me as a Chicago Fire supporter is saying, oh, the problem was the name or the crest, right? Um for me, I'm not going to even entertain discussions of a change in name because that's the stupidest thing that I've heard in a long time. Um, I agree. I don't even want to talk about that. But if you want to talk about updating the crest, um, 
I mean, the last thing they need is to do what, what Columbus did a couple of years ago in changing um, the name or the identity only to go back to it now. Or the Sox did the same thing, if I'm not mistaken. They tried to change the logo, and now they're back to the classic. Um, sure, you can sharpen it up and, and make it look a little less 90s, but um, I, only part of me is joking around when I say things like, maybe they would have won that match with a different crest on. I, right? it's, it's a great joke, I think. Um, I have one question for you, though. Marty, what do, you, what do we mean when we talk about infrastructure and how it's lagging behind all these other clubs? I mean, everything from training facilities. Um, I know we've also recently talked about medical staff and training staff and, and uh, just the plethora of injuries that they've had year after year, and I, I don't find that to be accidental. I've talked to former players that have, told me horror stories about, about um, injuries here in, in Chicago. Um, I've, I've talked to them about a lack of um, specialty equipment and recovery equipment on site, that at times they have to go to NovaCare facilities in the city um, if they want to, you know, have access to certain cryo machines and things like that. Um the kind of downturn of the academy's part of infrastructure, uh, all of these different things that we're seeing around the league that are um, just on another level. Mm -hmm. uh, training facilities being built left and right across the country. Um, organizations being run professionally. Scouting, um, uh, not just depending on football manager. Yeah, I mean, yeah, not having somebody sit in the basement of SeatGeek with, a, a, you know, several laptops and YouTube, so, mm -hmm. um, and, and again, all of these, all of these things are building into the fact that these problems go much deeper and much further back than, yeah. than just saying, here's some snazzy new graphic design and, you know, here's a Euro snob name that we're going to attach and, and that's going to fix all of our problems no um, I think until Andrew Heldman is no longer associated with this club it doesn't matter what you do mm -hmm. I, I agree and, and the other question is where is the Fires Frankie Hayduke I mean, where is the where are these all these old fire players I know that they're out there and they have, and sometimes they'll speak up and they'll but it, what I'm trying to point out is like the club doesn't almost, it's like they don't hold on to their history. They don't hold on to their players. They don't want, and some of these guys have gone on to great success across elsewhere. Jesse Marsh, uh, Chris Armis. Yeah, Nelson uh, is not shy about the fact that he doesn't care about history. I mean, uh -huh. Ronaldo, I mean, all these, these, these are awesome people that could be back under the fire umbrella, but. None of them will be back under the fire umbrella as long as Andrew's here. Correct. Yeah, it, that just seems to be the way. And, and that is in itself damning. And that is very concerning. And these are the optics that we speak about as fans that we're like, there's so much inherent rot inside of the structure. It's just like, it needs to be totally gutted and, and, and reset. And, and, and that happens with Hotman going, it seems. Uh, I don't know if that happens with necessarily Nelson going or Ponovich going, but I think it starts with, with Hotman going. Yeah, I think I think uh, I'm excited for a future in which Mansfeto is is 
in charge fully. Um, I hope, I really hope that part of that future going forward is not Mansueto wanting a name change. Um, but other than that, I'm, I'm very excited um, for that that possibility. Um, whether that means Nelson going or not is, is down the line, and I think that Nelson has uh, done some things successfully and and hasn't done other things successfully, but um, the bottom line is, is, is ownership in general. Uh, by the way, everybody, comment on your own thoughts and your own opinions below. Leave your comments on the page. What you guys think of the re potential rebrand? I don't think it's going to ha I hope it doesn't happen, but I do think that there's going to be some refreshing. What do you guys think about that? What do you guys think about potentially moving to Soldier Field? Do us a favor, smash that like button for us. Share this podcast with your friends and the people who don't talk about the fire, who want to talk about the fire. Share this podcast and because uh, this is an awesome one with uh, with Brian and Marty. Uh, Marty, I definitely got a couple other questions for you. Uh, I haven't seen too many questions on the live chat. Everybody, you could pour yours in if you got it right now because we're getting close to shutting down. Uh, any uh, new uh, Section 8 endeavors and initiatives? Yeah, we've got a couple events coming up here Um in April, as well as uh, some major ones coming up in, in, in May. Um, so the next home game is actually going to be on April 20th. It's the doubleheader with the Red Stars. So we're going to be working with Local 134, which is uh, the Red Stars um, kind of uh, ISA um, lead supporters group as well. I'm not sure how they make that distinction. I'd have to... I let them speak for themselves, but we're very excited on partnering with them, and uh, they're going to be doing um, a tailgate, and uh, it should be a really good time for all. Um, so that's coming up here, and then a couple of really big dates in May. Um, May 11th is Rock Against Racism, our annual concert, um, uh, which we have usually punk bands feature. We might have some rockabilly this year from what I'm hearing. Um, and that is going to be a really, really great time. Uh, the charity this year is actually uh, Hope for the Day, uh, which is a, a suicide prevention um, charity here uh, run out of Chicago. And we know um, that um, minority populations are disproportionately affected by, um, by suicide rates, uh, especially in the activist community. Um, so that's how those two things are linked. Um, and we're very excited. We've got a lot of breweries participating um, in that sponsorship. We also have um, uh, Taqueria Archer, run by our very own Javier, um, doing food. And lastly, um, Dark Matter, the coffee um, roasters and coffee shop, are going to be doing a little partnership for us. I'll be brewing and serving coffee that day instead of um, my typical beer. Um, and in conjunction with that, we'll also have Sip of Hope beans for sale, all of which will benefit the charity of the day as well. Um, so we have that. And then the last kind of major thing on our radar coming up is, of course, the May 18th watch party at Goose Island against um, San Jose where we will be releasing Pause and Reflect this year's um, collaboration with Goose. That'll be fun. Uh, any big away match uh, travel plans coming up? Uh, we just had a, a bunch of people go out to Toronto, which was lovely. Um, and we really uh, kind of saw one of, not, not a huge turnout, but one of the bigger turnouts uh, for away travel this year. Um, 
And then other than that, I think once Open Cup gets in the swing of things and once we get some more Midwest-centered opponents, um, we'll be able to to travel in bigger numbers. Cincinnati seems like it could be a fun one. Yep, that's going to be the one that I'm pushing for. Hopefully we get some um, Section 8 funding to subsidize the tickets and, and, and bus trip for that one. Yeah, it's nearby. It's pretty close, kind of, and a new team. We could start up the rivalry early, you know, the, the fun rivalry and the banter and all that jazz. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of banter, uh, I we got to mention this. There was some hilarious, I got to give props, tip of the cap to you and tip of the cap to Nelson for some really top-class fire banter. Uh, can you mention that? Yeah, sure. Um, so this is actually a couple of years ago now. Um, I, too, live in Lincoln Square, uh, and I frequent Half Acre a lot. Um, it's one of our fabulous local breweries. And they have this wonderful program where if you fill out a survey for um, their service and just kind of quality of food as well as just the taproom experience, um, there is a postcard attached that they'll send anywhere that you want. And so um, I was hanging out there um, just kind of writing and prepping a preview uh, for Fire Confidential and uh, happened to fill out one of the postcards asking him to sign an enganche because that was what was missing. Uh, so I uh, gave it to the, the lovely uh, guys and gals at Half Acre, and they, they shipped it off to uh, Ben Toyota Park, and I guess Nelson hung, out, hung, hung on to it for a couple of years. Um, so he sent it back after he signed Gaitan, and um, it was a really quality move from him. Um, shows the kind of, you know, personality and, and liveliness and, and um, just kind of engagement that has, has been lacking. Um, you know, I had people reach out and say, oh, don't you think that was petty or kind of like an oh, I got you moment. And no, I thought it was, you know, I hope it was genuine and um, we need more of that. We need, we need more of that type of engagement. We need more signings like Gaitan and I thought it was a, a great moment. Um, Still waiting for the the game worn signed jersey, but um, maybe that'll come when he starts producing. Absolutely, uh, I also thought it was a fantastic move. I saw some people questioning it as petty. I'm like, no, this is. I agree with you. This is awesome. This is a little glimpse of like the fun side of personality that we get to see of Nelson, and you know, it shows that you know maybe he's a little more human than he tries to let on. It's just that it's. And we were, and, and it, I appreciated it. I appreciated that you sent it. I appreciated that he held on to it, and then he had the, you know, the gumption to kind of have that little cheeky note and and, and do that. It's really fun. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> totally agree. Um, uh, I think that we're about close to wrapping up here. Any uh, final thoughts? I, I agreed. The Fire were lucky to get out of that game with a point, and it, there's there's issues here, but. And, and, and we're we're already a few games into the season. We're and we're it, there's so much more to go, and some teams are getting their foot feet underneath them, and the fire don't seem like they have their their feet underneath them yet. Yeah, I mean, if we're gonna kind of circle back to talk about the on the field play and and maybe tie into something that you and Brian were were chatting about before he left, mm-hmm. uh, and that's the Poundovich question. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I you know. You had mentioned that he's a great motivator, and, and Brian had said that there are moments where he can get you know certain things out of players. Um, personally, I would like to say that I'm just 
very, very sick of hearing post-match interviews of, oh, the players showed that they can fight back from adversity. I don't want players fighting back from adversity. I want a team that's clinical and ruthless and clicking on all cylinders and not struggling to be in eighth or ninth place. Uh, it, this, we're four years into this project, and it's just... Bono, Bono has to go. Um, and I'm saying that purely from uh, a results and soccer perspective. He's a wonderful human being. He's never been anything but nice to me. Um, I think that he's passionate. I think he's motivated. I've said this in the past, but this squad is better than eighth in the East. Um, when you when you start to see teams like Atlanta and both New Yorks click, and they will because they have squads to do that and they have uh, the infrastructure to do that, then I think the Fire are going to be in trouble again. I'm pulling up, uh, actually, I have Velko stats up here. I have Jesse Marsh, Greg Vanny, Caleb Porter, Peter Vermes, some of the better coaches MLS, but also Pono has 145 matches uh, to his name. Jesse has about 188, uh, so maybe about a season's more. Greg Vanny, um, uh, I think Caleb Porter's in a, maybe has a few more, but Greg Vanny's in a similar boat, 183 matches. So they got about 30 to 40 matches more than Pono, but... When you look at their goals scored, they just have they're, they have so many. More, I think their goal per game rate is so much more than Pono's. Their defensive goal given up rate is better than Pono's, and those are quality coaches. and And these are the things that you see: the teams that can score goals and keep the goals out. Uh, Ponovich's teams struggle with scoring goals. It seems struggle with keeping goals out as well. And it certainly can come down to the teams that he's been given by Nelson. But at a certain point, all of these guys have to make it work. And, and, and that's the thing about what, you co- what the coach brings is that value. How many win- wins, how many goals can this, the coach bring? And I'm not sure Velko is bringing enough to the table here to justify maintaining him. And, and I think that's what you're saying as well. Yeah, um, you know, I really hate to, to frame it in this way, but um, part of me on, on Friday just wished that we hadn't gotten that bar decision and that we had lost because grabbing one point um, just keeps Pano afloat there. Um, I think if we had lost against Orlando, which we probably deserved, as, and as Brian we, mentioned. And we had lost yes or on Friday, you know, um, it puts a more real perspective on things. Uh, it, this team is, is is too good to be playing the way that they are. They're a step too slow. Their chemistry isn't quite there yet. Um, it's 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 not it's not ideal by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and I, I think after four years, it's time to see what what a, a good coach could do with this, this setup. Uh, do you think Klopas is the answer? Because um, uh, Moot was on our show last week. He mentioned Klopas as a potential possible successor or a, uh, a te- potential temporary stopgap solution. I don't think Frank is going to come back to coaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, who do you think could be an option out there if there is anybody? Um, I, I don't know at the moment. Yeah. Um, and, and, and part of that is, you know, I'd like to see them give a shot to, to one of the old boys, but um, those guys aren't going to come back here, as I mentioned. Yeah, that, that is a problem. Right now, the Fires sit in the eighth spot in uh, the uh, in the East. 
they have six points, one win, three draws, two losses, eight goals for, ten goals given up. Uh, they're not the most goal. They don't have the most goals given up, and they don't have the most goals scored. They're kind of right in the middle of the line. But with this offense and this amount of talent, you expect them to have a little bit more goals. Uh, the defensive woes are understandable. Uh, I under, I totally understand the defensive woes and trying to figure that out. But uh, to me, what is it unacceptable is that we just we're going on three, four seasons here, 105, 145 games. Uh, was it 145 games? And it just Apollo's offense non-existent. His offensive tactics look lacking, and his teams just look like they always have lacked ideas from the first day he entered until yesterday, which is too long for a team to go clueless. And I, I mentioned this with Jeffrey three years ago. I'm like, I don't think Ponovich is a guy. The uh, Twitter world uh, was like, wait, just wait, you'll see. You know, he's got a Club World Cup under his leg, under, under, under in his belt, which is great. But, you know, it doesn't, it's not translating. It hasn't translated. And then two years ago, I'm like, yeah, he doesn't look like he's the guy. I mean, yeah, he's put piecing things together, but it just doesn't look complete. It doesn't look like it can be complete. Third, last year, it definitely wasn't complete. And we're going into the third year, fourth year of his project. Uh, six matches in, and it's just, it's, th if this was a TV show, this would have been canceled. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the image that sticks out for me is one of those uh, old-school cartoons where there's a, a, a sinking boat that has just a bunch of holes that are, that are leaking, and uh, you only have so many that you can plug up at once, and as soon as you plug one up, the one that you just let go of starts spouting water um and in that kind of comical mickey mouse type sense i that's what i see at times with pano um he shored up the back line a little bit uh which was struggling immensely heading into the season um and then all of a sudden you have problems up top whereas you know sapong looked good in the first couple matches and and they looked good going forward and frankowski really offered them something on the wing um, but they were leaky in the back. And so it's just like going back and forth between these things. Not everything is clicking at once when it needs to be. Um, so, yeah, I agree. Um, it just doesn't so, look good, and it doesn't seem like it bodes well long-term. I'm like, I just, I just think, what are we going to see eight games from now? I feel like the same thing. I feel like what are we going to see at the end of the season? We're going to see the same middling, questionable performance, and it's really it's, been, it, it, it's time to call it now. Six games. It was time to call it last year. Nelson was unable to make the hard call that maybe was needed. And it's so unfortunate because I really like Ponovich, the guy. I think he's such a nice guy. I think he's a fantastic motivator. He's got such great aspects. And it's horrible for us to feel like we're calling for a guy's job, too. But, you know, that's kind of our job as, like, the kind of the fire media is to put a, a, light, a, a torch to these guys' feet and put the pressure on them so they do succeed. We haven't seen the success for Ponovich, and it, it at this point it just doesn't look like it's ever going to come. No, no. Um, and, you know, I, I'd clarify, I don't consider myself a member of the media. I'm just speaking We're not experts, from, by no means. In my, own, in my own experience here. But also, this, this, this schedule hasn't been tough. I mean, the only, the only real standout uh, that you run into saying, okay, they're not going to get any points from this match is the Seattle game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they were flying on all cylinders. So, you know, you look, you start off against LA, and they're, everybody in the first game is, is rusty, and there were chance for, for, for points there. And you look at, you know, the Orlando game, you look at 
Vancouver heading into this one and, and the just terrible form they were in, almost leaving without three points. You look at all these individual scenarios and and you're left with your head in your hands and, and Paolo saying, we have fight. Um, and, and, and at this point, four years into a project, that's not enough. And that's the bottom line. And when they are winning, uh, they never seem to win by a lot. They, it always seems to be mostly one-goal games that they do win. It's just I've never seen a straight-out domination set of tactics or a straight-out set of domination put out by these guys. And, like, the, those flashes, we just don't get those flashes. They're too infrequent for, for me to believe in this. Yeah, and I think all of that is a product of the fact that there is no actual system in play. Mm-hmm. A lot of people say he a lot, a lot launched the idea, of, oh, he's a tournament coach. He re, he's pro, he's reactive, not proactive. Uh, he's working on nullifying the other team's strengths rather than playing to his own team's strengths. And I think that that does uh, affect the team and their, their ability for success long term. Yeah, yeah. All right, Marty, uh, I think that we've kind of wrapped it up here. Any final thoughts on anything else? No, I'd just like to say thank you for having me on again and uh, give a shout-out to the Fire for Food Drive while I'm on here. And also just a big thank you to, to Brian Sandalow because um, he's, you know, back when I first started writing for Fire Confidential, people like like Guillermo and, and Brian and, and Oren are people that I looked up to, so it was a nice moment to be able to be on a show with him. That's so, so awesome, man. I was glad I could help, uh, help make that happen. Uh, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks to everyone for coming on the show. Thanks to everybody who are watching this uh, live or after the fact. Uh, spread the fire. Spread your fire podcast. Support your local podcast. Support Fred, who talks about him on the radio. Fred Huber, support your fire writers like Marty, like Brian Sandalow, like Guillermo. Uh, subscribe to the Sun-Times, The Athletic. These are all fantastic news sources. And really, you guys got to realize your clicks matter. Your clicks is supported. It, 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 they're able to point to that and say, look, the fire do are supported. The fire do have people who care about them. So do your – all it takes is a click, maybe 10 seconds, scan the article, see what you could glean from it. There's some great stuff out there. And, and we, you know, that's, the, that's what we're here to do. Uh, th- thank you guys every once again. Fire it up. Smash that like button. Subscribe for more Spinning Fire. Check us out on Stitcher. Uh, check us out on iTunes as well. Uh, and uh, we'll see you guys later. All right. Thanks again. Thank you, Marty. All right. We'll snap the stream. Thank you, everybody. Later.